Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's the SNL Hall of Fame podcast with your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. All right. Thank you so much, Doug Donats. It is great to be here inside the SNL Hall of Fame. You may have arrived yesterday only to find that the doors were locked. Well, it's Thanksgiving here in Canada, and that explains that. Because this is, of course, where the hall is located. In my recording studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> How are you doing, everybody? I hope you're well. Uh, whoa, hold on. That doesn't mean come inside. You got to wipe those feet first. Now, now that you're here, the SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair. Each episode, we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity inside the hall. It's really quite simple how this game works. We invite a guest on to tackle one of our nominees. They build the case for them. You listen and you ultimately get to cast the vote to determine whether or not they make it inside the hall. This year, we'll be doing things a little bit differently. You will be getting uh, an email if you have registered in the past to remind you to vote, but there is no uh, actual registering to vote this year. You can just vote with your email address and you'll be good to go. So there's that. This week on the program, we have a good one for you. We have uh, we always have a good one for you. I, I need to strike that... Can you strike that from the record, please? Very few people uh, understand the operation here at the Hall of Fame, but we, we do have a stenographer that sits beside me as I, as I recite this introduction. And uh, she's wonderful. She's just wonderful. She's like, uh, her fingertips are like lightning, uh, like lightning. She does a great spine massage as well. Uh, anyway, before we go too much further into this and I incriminate myself, uh, let's head over to Matt's Minutia Minute because I understand Matt is chomping at the bit this week to talk about David Bowie, who we will be joined by Ryan McNeil in the recording cellar with Thomas to talk about David Bowie and his nomination. But before that, as always, we are going to track down our friend Matt, and he is going to talk to us in the... Oh, Jamie. In the, 
Yes, Matt. Oh, Jamie. Yes, I know you. I am very excited about this one. I know. You're going to have a hard time stopping me talking, my friend. Okay, let's just do it. Can't wait. Davy Jones, a.k.a. David Bowie, uh, was born January 8th, 1947. He was 5'10". Now, along with Tim Curry in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, David is the source of a lot of my youthful sexual awakenings. Little bit of TMI off the top, but just thought I'd get that out of the way. Born in London's working class borough of Brixton, David Robert Jones changed his name so he was not confused with Davy Jones of the Monkees. Another heartthrob, but for very different reasons. He had a rather unremarkable uh, musical career early on, with his choir teacher calling his voice adequate. But... He found inspiration in artists including the Teenagers, the Platters, Fats Domino, Elvis Presley, and Little Richard, of whom he said upon hearing Tutti Frutti, he declared that he had heard the voice of God. That early rock and roll really shook and, and sh- shook people to their bones. And, you know, if somebody's going to be the voice of God, I want it to be Little Richard. Now, he had some pretty incredible childhood friends, one of whom was Peter Frampton, who he met when he went to Bromley Technical High School, where Frampton's dad was teaching David Bowie art and possibly creating the future of music secondhand. Just shows the importance of teachers. Uh, He was also at this time friends uh, with David Jones's friends with a certain Reginald Kenneth Dwight, a.k.a. Elton John. Sadly, they drifted apart as their fame began to grow and did not have a chance to reconcile prior to David's death. David formed his first band at the age of 15 called the Conrads, a skiffle band aping the sound of the Beatles and other British skiffle bands of the time, which drew from U.S. guitar music and blues. He drifted from band to band, including the King Bees and the Lower Third, before striking out on his own as David Jones, That didn't last long, shortly after he changed his name. His first release was the single Can't Help Thinking About Me, flopped, uh, like all of his prior efforts with his bands to date. During his hippie era, David began working with producer extraordinaire Tony Visconti, who continues to talk about working with David to this day, and, and their relationship continued up until David's passing. He studied dramatic arts under Lindsay Kemp, including avant-garde theater, mime, comedy dell'arte, and all of this really does carry through to a lot of Bowie's performances, which embrace movement, extreme performance, and honestly, a lot of the time, comedy of the absurd. His career exploded out of the gate with Space Oddity, uh, which was released at a very timely moment, right before the moon landing. The BBC decided to use this song all over top of their coverage of the moon landing, uh, and that catapulted him uh, from an obscure hippie to one of the most influential musicians. That catapulted him from obscure hippie to one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. Over his career, he embraced a host of characters, including the most famous being Siggy Stardust and Thin White Duke and Aladdin Sane, 
They also included characters like Major Tom and art detective Nathan Alder. His first song in, in character was the 1967 bassoon-driven single, The Laughing Gnome, which is as weird as this name makes it sound. Seriously, listen to it. Your life will be changed. There's a tiny talking gnome. I thought I dropped acid. I haven't dropped acid since high school. It was triggering. He has 99 composer credits, 38 film acting credits, including the alien refugee Tom Jerome Newton in The Man Who Fell to Earth, and source of much sexual consternation, uh, Jareth in Labyrinth, not to mention a delightful cameo as himself in Zoolander, and appearance on Broadway and in London's West End as the Elephant Man. His first recording, I Never Dreamed, was recorded in 1963 when he was 16 and a member of the Conrads. His fellow bandmate and drummer, uh, David, Had David Hadfield, was moving house in 1990 and found it in a bread box wrapped in wax paper. So you can actually go back and hear that. Young David Bowie, big difference from, from later David Bowie. Now, a myth about David is that he has heterochromia, but he does not. Uh, what happened was he was punched in the eye by a band member uh, and developed a condition called anascroria, a permanently dilated pupil, which is the cause of why some people think that eye is a slightly different color. Many songs were uh, inspired by his brother, uh, who suffered from complex mental health issues, uh, including Jump, they say. And these issues led to him being institutionalized and, sadly, his eventual suicide. Bowie is a cultural icon, so much so that there are multiple Barbies that have been released celebrating his unique looks, and I am sad that none of them appeared in the Barbie movie. An innovator, he launched his own ISP in 1996 called Bowie.net, which is one of the earliest social media platforms where he basically invented the AMA. Not long after, he also pioneered artists monetizing their products and creations by selling shares in David Bowie. You could own a share of Bowie. I don't know what part I'd want to own, but I wish I had had the money at the time. His last album, Black Star, was released on his birthday, January 8th in 2016. A deep, penetrating meditation on death, loss, regret, pain, and hope, ultimately. Two days later, he died at the age of 69. His life ended as it was lived, a piece of art. Yes, indeed, Jamie and Matt. Thank you so much. I am down here in the recording cellar, and I will not leave until the business at hand is done. Today, we are talking about David Bowie, and here to discuss all things Bowie and SNL with me 
is a great guest that we've had on. This is his fifth time on oh, the man. podcast. Do I get a jacket? Well, I see, you know, I think uh, our previous five timers have just been okay, Ryan, with with like uh, <laughs> your bragging gratitude. rights, <laughs> bragging rights, right. and they're, you know, you could, we could send you business cards if you want, something like that. You know, see, I, I make that joke, and yet I have, I'd say, at least a dozen people who have been on my own show five times. I have nothing for them. I don't have stickers. I don't have buttons. Nada. I've got people who've been on, like, seven, eight, nine times. I don't even, like, not even a gift basket. So I, I'm, I'm just happy to, happy for the acknowledgement. Yeah. Well, rest assured, we have nothing for you as well. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you don't feel the need to pay it for with this. So, you, yeah. So Ryan's been on. Ryan McNeil has been on uh, for the Prince episode. He's been on to talk about Justin Timberlake, Bill Murray. Uh, Dave Grohl was a wonderful episode. Uh, we gotten a lot of great feedback still uh, on wow. the Dave Grohl episode. And Ryan McNeil, host of the Matinee Cast as well, a podcast over 300 episodes now. Ryan, geez, tell me. The One secret. of these days I hope to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it, uh, when we recorded 300 this year, it was, uh, it was wild uh, to think that I'd been doing it as long as I have. Um, you know, there's, there's times I'm my cat every once in a while will make an appearance. So I do apologize to your, uh, your listeners. My cat if they, appearances too. Okay. <laughs> if, if they hear, uh, if they hear Lord Baelish crying, he's crying for nothing really. Uh, 300 episodes. Um, yeah, there, you know, there's, there's times where I think nobody's listening <laughs> just like any other show, but, um, it's been, it's been great. I've, I've met some really fantastic people doing it. I've seen some fantastic films that I might not have otherwise have seen. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's part of the reason why I got the job I have. Not I'm not podcasting for a living, but I was able to put myself out there and kind of create a portfolio beyond just my own work of, if you're interested in learning about me, go listen to this, because this is, you know, something I create and can give you an idea of who you're talking to. Yeah, it's a good one. And this is coming out in uh, mid-October. Is there anything specifically that you might have in mind for around Mid-October, yeah. we'll be getting into a new season. I usually take September off because it's kind of a wasteland for movies. And coming out of the Toronto International Film Festival, I can usually use a bit of a breath. So we'll be starting a, a whole new season of, uh, of, of shows. Mid-October, I think the new Scorsese will be showing yeah. up by then. So we'll Killers probably of the have Flower a, Moon. Yeah, we'll yeah. probably have an episode dedicated to that for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. I just read the book, by the way. So, so I, I'm really looking forward to the movie. If it's Same. anything like the book, it's going to yeah. be outstanding. I think so. Definitely. Uh, yeah, that's the matinee cast, of course, with Ryan McNeil. Uh, go check that out. And today, here on the SNL Hall of Fame, we are talking about another musical guest again, David Bowie. And Ryan, this is your third musical guest that you've been on for, of course, Prince and Dave Grohl. And I find it fascinating how viewers in, uh, of SNL and voters of the SNL Hall of Fame look at musical guests. And I'm curious, like, why do you think people have been so hesitant to vote musical guests into the SNL Hall of Fame at this point? Like, Paul Simon's the only one that's in now. I'll pat us on the back and say I think we did a great job advocating for Dave Grohl. But why do you think voters might be hesitant to put musical guests into the hall? I do think that the musical component of SNL is something that the most avid viewers, you know, they go get a beer during that part of the show, especially if it's a band they don't know. 
I I've actually found discovered a lot of bands because they were on SNL and I kind of felt a little foolish for not having known about them before because SNL as much as they can promote music and and you know create an interesting showcase for a wide array of artists and I got to give them credit for that too they they really have all kinds of different musicians on it's not what everybody tunes in for. So if it's not your thing, if you're rather, if you're waiting for update or if you're waiting for, you know, the next round of the target lady or the next round of uh, the wild and crazy guys, the, the first drunk brothers or whatever you happen to be waiting for, that part of the show doesn't latch for you. This is just one of those things for me where the Venn diagrams overlap, where the comedy nerd and the musical nerd are both, delighted at the same moment so i know that's not everybody and you know that's cool get, get from things what you want to get from things but for me it's it's one of the the highlights of snl is the way they can work with a musical act and the way they can highlight and promote and foster um musical careers yeah i'm sometimes that way too i'll admit i i oftentimes especially if it's a musical guest i've never heard of I'll use that time to go use the restroom or let my dogs out for for one last pee before they go to sleep for the evening. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that is like a convenient break in between. I know I'm not going to miss update. I know I want to see what sketches come up. So unfortunately, like something sometimes in an hour and a half has to kind of fall through the cracks for some people. And this does. But depending on the artist. And I think the one we're talking about today, if I was, you know, I, I was watching SNL for probably two or three of his appearances, but in his prime, there's no way I would have gotten out of my seat to go do whatever, get a snack or whatever. I would have been glued to the TV. Of course. To watch David Bowie. So there's those certain artists that you just have to, I think, just stay there for. And I think we're talking about one of them today, Ryan, in, in uh, David Bowie. And I'm, I wanted to ask you to start off, like, if you just can put into context for anybody who might not totally be familiar, anybody who wants to reminisce, like where David Bowie was like on the rock star hierarchy, like throughout the seventies, his first appearance was 79. So where kind of throughout the seventies kind of where was Bowie in that hierarchy? What's interesting about him showing up for the first time in 79 is it's not like our Dave Grohl episode where the first time Dave Grohl shows up, he's still got that new car smell. You know, like he looks like he's going to freak out if he misses a beat. David Bowie, by the time he shows up in 79, he's been going full tilt for 11 years. He is fully formed. He is deeply in the rock Parthenon at that point. He's influencing other artists behind him. He will influence other artists who come after him. And watching that first appearance, I mean, the the if somebody is going to go back and watch these appearances in order... The only downside is the first one is the best and they're all kind of mm -hmm. shuffle them in between after that. But that first episode that he um, appears in 79, he is firing on all cylinders. He's actually a little bit subdued in terms of how weird he will be and how weird he'll get later. He's he's a little, you know, he's a little glossy in this in this era. He's he's kind of in between personae. But when he shows up, that that's the great thing is he is showing up at his prime it's it's like watching it's like watching Muhammad Ali fight, you know, as as a twenty six year old and beating Sonny Liston. It's 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 an incredible thing to witness. Yeah, I agree. I think 
this might be this Bowie appearance. It was season five, early in season five. It was season five, episode seven. So that was December of 79. I think it was arguably in those early years, maybe the biggest get that SNL had. I mean, as far as we could run through, I'm sure I'm missing someone, but there are a few musicians around that time who were as big as Bowie. So I'm venturing to guess like they never had, they didn't have McCartney until the, uh, the next year. I'm venturing to guess that Bowie was maybe the biggest get in those early years for SNL. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd say that's, that's pretty much on the nose. And what I like is it's embracing, it's embracing the new, right? Like at, at that time they could, have. They, they, I know, you know, like this, they were, they were still trying to get the Beatles to come back. Like Lauren was offering checks, um, you know, you know, they were very much interested in some of those New York bands, but they weren't exactly what I'd call leading edge with with a lot of the music. So having somebody like Bowie who comes out and does something a little artier, a little kookier, um, is it's them embracing uh, the way that rock is changing and the way that rock is changing from, you know, four white boys copying blues into something a little bit more experimental, a little bit more arty, a little bit more New York. Um, Bowie, of course, is an English artist, but, you know, those records, they feel... You know, along with being very, very Berlin, obviously, they feel very at home with the New York vibe at the time of bands like Television and um, Talking Heads and those kinds of bands. I think it maybe lent some credibility uh, in some ways to being a a musical guest on SNL. And because before that, we would see a lot of, I mean, Randy Newman, of course, Paul Simon, he's buddies with Lorne Michaels. He appeared uh, in, in those early years, but a lot of it was blues musicians mm-hmm. uh, who are great, uh, but they didn't have like the the cultural cachet. They yeah. didn't pop culturally yeah. necessarily like David Bowie did. So this was this was a great get for SNL again. His first appearance, season five, episode seven. This was in December of seventy nine. This was a few months after he released Lodger Loger. I've never actually heard anybody say this. I always call it name out loud. Well, I've always called it Lodger. So (laughs) so we'll go with that. So he released Lodger uh, a few months prior to this. The host was Martin Sheen. So we could delve in. uh, Unless you have anything else to say about Bowie in the 70s could delve into this first appearance no let's let's go for it. i mean i could you know we could, we could be doing a whole other show sure <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. If, if we were if we were doing that but um yeah lodger uh it's 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 a great place for him to be showing up it ends off his berlin trilogy as i said it's it's him very very much in his prime um he's gonna he's gonna kind of take a weird and interesting wander after this but um it's a, it's a it's a great place for him to show up and the first song that he did uh, was not from that album. It was, no. <laughs> it, was a, it was The Man Who Sold the World from the album The Man Who Sold the World. What did you think of this performance of The Man Who Sold the World? So the one thing I adore about this first performance is that he is very much playing the uh, the, the New York art gallery nerd. He is He's putting on these performances that will influence... David Byrne and influence Lady Gaga, um, all of these in the best ways. Like I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in lineage when it comes to rock and roll. I don't look at somebody and turn up my nose and be like, uh, David Bowie did that first. You know, like, I, I, I love, I love seeing the influences. Yeah, he does this this very cool installation art performance. Um, you know, Kanye will cop to this later on. 
where he's he's in this huge suit and he's basically like we almost wheeled out, although he's carried by mm-hmm. these two aliens who are completely <laughs> uh, yeah, the, those spooky looking guys who yeah, also served his, as the uh, as the, the, the backup, the backup singers. singers yeah yeah who are, who are completely blasé about all things but they they carry bowie out to the to the microphone like they're wheeling out hannibal lecter and yeah he starts out like that that's kind of a flex is like i'm gonna start with something i did a while ago i'm mm-hmm. promoting a new record but i'm not gonna start with that i'm gonna go back and remind you why i'm here and and he slays as he always does <laughs> I might prefer this, uh, just the performance and the sound of it. I might prefer this to the album version, quite honestly. I think it, it was it was maybe a little more textured. It had so many layers, and and mm-hmm. I think just I, I listening to it, I was like, God, this is so good. Like I I like the album version, quite honestly. I like Nirvana's version on Unplugged right. better than uh, better than Bowie's album version. But this was like this really popped to me. I thought it was really interesting. I think the the two scary looking dudes, the backup singers, like added to it quite a bit so i i really enjoyed this performance and visually it was something that snl didn't always do back then is have no. like as you said the performance art aspect no because you need the like that part i feel is driven from the artist i feel like every time they book somebody they're like okay so you know what the set is and you know what you're working with you know good luck and and i think it's it can be on the artist to come back to them and say well I want to turn it into a bedroom the way that Lizzo did, or I want to turn it into, uh, you know, just a, a blank white wall the way that Kanye did, you know, like they, it's on them to change what's in front of you that much. And the set is still static. Like, it's not like David Bowie is doing anything really drastic with the, with the train station set behind him, but he was the one who's like, all right, boys, you're going to put me in this big clunky suit and you're going to wheel me out forward so that I'm going to sing standing stark still, mind you, like he's not not so much as a sway. He's very much locked in place. And yet you can't take your eyes off him because it's the the song is that good. And he's so charismatic doing it. Yeah, that's the thing about Bowie is he he's someone who you can't take your eyes off. To me, he's one of the most interesting looking people I think who has ever lived and he, and every time you see him, he has a different look like yeah. Gaga today. Every time you see Lady Gaga, she's looks different. That, that was Bowie back then. He just, yeah. and he pulled off anything. He was just so visually interesting and just an interesting person to look well, at. The thing, the thing that's wild too, is that's a handsome dude. Like yeah. you, th- that guy rolls out of bed and just like puts on jeans and a black t-shirt and that's a good looking cat. He does not need to do anything. He does not need to put on makeup. He does not need to change his hair. He does not need to put on a crazy outfit. He just shows up as a gorgeous human being. And yet throughout his career, he's like, I'm going to dye my hair bright orange. I am going to dress like an alien. I am, you know, I'm only going to wear the white suit. And it's like, okay, cool. Cause you just go along with it. He, he, it's like, he's eschewing his natural beauty because he doesn't feel like that's interesting enough yeah everything he did makes made sense with his with his style yeah even if like i couldn't pull any of that stuff off most of us couldn't but anything that he tried he pulled off whether it was like 
We, and we saw his style kind of change with the times, as we mm-hmm. will see it here on SNL. But even as he got older, he had what I call like the cool dad kind of haircut. He grew he into hair. it like that. He, I, yeah, I don't know it, how he aged that way, especially considering <laughs> later on in life he was very sick. But yeah. he just he aged so incredibly. He's a like a one of one in mm-hmm. terms of just the style. Yeah. Like few people, Prince could probably pull off a lot of things, but maybe not as many types, different types no. of things yeah. as Bowie. And then, I mean, like, so, you know, the big suit was, he could have just kept trotting back out the big suit. We all would have got a laugh. But then he comes back out and does TVC15. Again, not off the new record. So it's like, I have something out, but I'm not going to sing about that right now. Um, It's like the opposite of a concert where they start with six new songs before they get to the stuff you love. And TVC15, I mean, again, he's not he's not going back out in the suit here. He's going out in uh, like a blazer and a dress. He's doing his little sexually fluid androgynous thing that will spark a whole other movement again influencing a lot of artists to come um influencing the culture to a to a better place um i think um so he's out there he's kind of dressed like a glam school marm and now the aliens are bored now the aliens are reading the newspaper and um what's the other alien doing um oh the other alien is walking his dog yeah you know there's still there's a little poodle with the tv yeah, uh, with the TV in its, in its yeah. mouth. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's like, okay, we gave them the suit and that worked, but we can't give them the suit again because they won't buy that. Mm-hmm. What else can we do? All right, let's dress me, uh, you know, let's dress me somewhat in drag, not fully in drag. And you guys just act bored. Just act aloof. Sing when we need you to. Trade the newspaper and the dog. And that will work. Yeah, and everything that happens makes sense. Everything that he wears makes sense. It's yes. just... Given who he is, it all of this weird, weird stuff on stage makes sense. Yeah, That's, you got to you got to tip your cap to that. I I love it. That was TVC one five from station to station. So we're not even getting anything yet from his from his uh, new album. But the third song, which by the way, pretty cool. They let him perform three songs. That didn't always. Yeah, happen. they don't it still do that. Yeah, they happen. don't. Do, yeah, I know. That's usually a sign that they're really happy that you're there mm-hmm. when they get when they give you a third. There's I can only count on my on like. A very few instances where they give you a third. They still do. Every once in a while, they'll give you a third song, but it's it's really, really rare. Uh, sometimes I think it's because they're light on material. Um, <laughs> boys keep swinging. I mean, as you know, just when you think he's fired the gun empty, <laughs> boys keep swinging this is wild. It starts out so normal. It actually starts out like the Nazi boys singing in Cabaret, where it's mm-hmm. just from the neck up. And you're like, oh, this is pretty. And then this shot reveals and you're like, oh, it's a little Nazi boy singing. That's not what David Bowie did here. That's in Cabaret. Watch that movie. It's an incredible movie. And when that moment comes, it's horrifying. Um, No, in here, David Bowie is singing from the neck up and you're thinking everything is normal. Heaven loves you. The clouds part for you. Nothing stands in your way when you're a boy. Clothes always fit ya, 
Life is a pop of the cherry when you're a boy. When you're a boy, you can wear a uniform when you're a boy. And then the shot pans down and he's basically composited with a marionette that's yep. being shot off stage. And he's like following the marionette. He's not just sticking in place. He actually can see what the puppeteer is doing with the doll and how it's making it dance. And his head is following it. People can't see obviously, cause it's an audio medium, but his head is like bobbing back and forth or his head is, you know, bouncing along with the puppet. And it's just such a delight to watch. Yeah, it was jarring. And so you're saying, so I was trying to figure out how they were doing this. And so the marionette was on a different, so Bowie was on the stage and the marionette was on a different stage. I, it's, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly yeah. how they're doing. I was trying it. to figure it out. Yeah. Um, but like Bowie can clearly see what the puppet <laughs> is doing yep. in real time. So I don't know if one camera is pointing at him uh, in front of a green screen and another camera is pointing at the puppet and they're nearby, but they're just, they don't happen to be on the stage with the band. That may very well be what it is, but they're they're definitely like they're definitely aware of each other. They're definitely in proximity to the band. Um, that's one where I would love a shot. I'd love a behind the scenes shot where I can see how they did it. Um, because it's also, I mean, it's really low budget. It's not, you know, it's it's not any kind of like avatar trickery here. You know, was, this was nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's something you could probably do with your phone. Um, <laughs> but it just it's 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 delightful. It's so kooky. It's all hanging on a song that's like not exactly one of his bangers. Uh, you know, you got to go like 20 songs deep or so or 30 songs deep mm-hmm. before people start talking about Boys Keep Swinging. But the song slaps. The performance is amazing. He finishes off his little gallery residency and, you know, shows SNL how it's done. I would have loved to see, like you said, I would have loved to, to know what this looked like to the studio mm-hmm. audience to be there but bowie was just so perfect at coordinating his movements with that marionette yeah turning it into a cohesive thing that's impressive in 1979 i bet people were watching going like what the hell this is like this is awesome i was watching it today going like this is so fun to watch it's it's wonderful you know do you think that these performances on snl like captured bowie's late 70s essence like do you think fans got what they wanted oh yeah these performances yeah yeah absolutely like you know this is this is back in the day where seeing a band only ever, you know, if you, you either went to a concert, if they came near your town or you saw them on TV, you know, like there, there was, you know, there, there was no YouTube, there were no videos like you, you, and not only that, but there were very seldom like reruns, right. Or, or, or you had to, it was appointment television. You had to be on the living room floor. Or you had to be on the couch at, at midnight on, on, on Saturday night, Sunday morning to see these things. So you know, yeah, if, if they I, I think he may he may have even thought of that, you know, that that at the time when people are, are seeing bands on television, that they are making a point to see them because this is this is not this is long, long before TV was just company in the room or, or you know, like, God forbid, a second screen. If something was on, you were generally watching it with intent. So he probably thought if somebody's watching me with intent, I want to give them a show. I was really impressed with with all three of these uh, visually and the songs too. everything kind of gelled. And so that was like right under the wire as far as like him getting on SNL in the 70s. Because that was the second to last episode of the entire decade. So he went the entire 80s 
without appearing on SNL. Which and, is weird because yeah. his his music, like we talked about this with Prince, like Prince took a really long wander in between appearances, but Prince also took a really long wander with his career. Bowie in the 80s, I mean, Bowie in the 80s was very, very poppy, very much more FM radio, um, you know, like his his songs were a lot slicker. He wasn't he wasn't doing the arty, weird alien I'm going to dress in a giant giant suit while the aliens are bored behind me thing anymore. He was doing something much more commercial with songs like Let's Dance and Modern Love and those kinds of things. Love them. But they're 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 very they they feel much more like they could have been done by just about anybody. Um, So it's it. But the thing is, they suit what SNL was doing in the 80s very much. So it's kind of interesting that he never showed up for any of that. Yeah, I'm surprised what Let's Dance, the album came out in what 83 thereabouts thereabouts so so i think he would have been a great fit on there and and there's well known i mean modern love let's dance china girl cat people like there was some really beloved songs yeah off of and West, he was he West was touring dance. he was big like mm-hmm. he was it wasn't like he was being that guy in the cabin off in the woods that would come later but he he was he was around he was doing stuff he was touring he was you know doing duets with mick jagger for whatever reason he just never showed up i think especially with that album too i think he adapted to like the 80s sound he made it bowie but he still fit into what the overall vibe of was of that time yeah it's always cool i don't know maybe ebersol didn't didn't love him (laughs) could be i mean it's it's always cool to talk about bowie's fans because everybody has like their era of bowie that they love stones fans it's kind of same same sort of Mm -hmm. thing people love 60 stones people love 70 stones um you know like there's a lot of people who swear by 70s 80s 70s Bowie and then everything after 1979 is trash or there's people who came in much later and find those 90s records really really interesting and really really wonderful and anything before or after that is weird you know so it's Bowie's kind of that's one of the things that I love about him is that because he's got all of these movements like an artist like you can see he's very very much inspired by the great artists who had their movements he lends himself to people coming in and out of his work at various points. Yeah. Where do you find yourself on that spectrum of, of, of preferences? Does it vary um, just by what mood you're in? <laughs> it does actually. Um, I, I mean, I, I really clung to him in late nineties. So I have a soft spot for uh, some of those late nineties records that we're going to talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. As time went on, I grew to appreciate more and more of, you know, I, I, I then like jumped straight back to the seventies stuff first and, the 80s stuff kind of took a minute with me. I have a bittersweet fondness for those last two records just because mm-hmm. I found I found them so, so intricate and unexpected. Like he had, as I mentioned, he'd been gone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill quite some time and i'd actually kind of squared myself to the fact that he may be gone permanently because it had been so long with him not doing anything until of course he was completely gone um but i i i very much i love i love a lot of it but i do have a soft spot for those those 90 records because that's where i joined the circus 
his second appearance on SNL, like I said, went through the entire 80s without appearing on SNL. His second appearance was in November of 91, season 17. A pretty memorable episode, honestly. Macaulay Culkin hosted this episode. And I have I have visceral, kind of vivid memories of as a child of Macaulay Culkin saying, Ladies and gentlemen, Tin Machine. Yeah. And at the time when I was a little kid, I didn't know, I didn't really know who David Bowie, like I think I knew the name. But you probably I knew him to, as that guy from Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah, like Labyrinth, I, I I knew him from there, but I didn't put it together that Tin Machine was David Bowie's band. I thought it was just some band that I, I had never heard of, but uh, Ryan, are you a big Tin Machine guy? <laughs> uh, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tin Machine is, <laughs> it's a strange little moment in his career because it comes as an answer to the poppy, glossy, mainstream commercial 80s music that he was doing, he found himself restless and dissatisfied, understandably, um, even though, you know, I would say that a lot of that 80s music has its merit. He he just didn't like where he was at and the kind of people he was drawing into the to the theater. So he decided to take a break and do something different and go work with other people and create this little band tin machine. Here's the really strange thing is that it's not it doesn't feel like that hard of a swing mm-hmm. away from what he's doing of, of everything he he ever did. It's it feels just fine. It doesn't feel like a drastic shift back to the art stuff. It's not what I'd call like especially harder. It kind of feels like it's in between the eras of music, you know, like, yeah, in in a time where Metallica and Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue were the biggest things in rock this feels very different. But considering that at the same time, Pearl Jam and Red Hot Chili Peppers and Nirvana are about to take over, this feels like a step behind all of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, I mean, they're good. Uh, it's a good performance. It's it's not the aliens and it, there's no suit. Um, <laughs> it's very it's, 90s, it, aesthetically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 90s. Yeah. yeah. The first song they did is called Baby Universal. And I actually... Surprise! It was, I was surprised. I, I actually liked these performances more than than I expected. I expected it to be a huge, huge drop off mm-hmm. because it wasn't like Bowie. It was a side project. But I, I think I came to the conclusion that I would still like this if it wasn't yeah. Bowie. Like I think it fits in fine. Like it was a fine, good, enjoyable performance, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm curious for sure. I'm not I'm not thinking that I you know I feel sad that I missed it in this moment. There's a lot of stuff that I I was really late to the party, and I'm like, why wasn't I listening to this then? Um, this is not one of those moments. Um, <laughs> right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm like, oh, cool, I've got something new that I can find out about. Um, he's very styled in this. You know, he's not doing the the arty weirdo. He's he's very very much, you know, a handsome dude in like leather jackets and and sharp collars and that kind of thing what is it in he, mid to late 40s around this time 1991 uh yeah yeah late yeah. 40s they're about yeah. the mid 40s um so he's you know, like it, a cool guy who's yeah. in his mid 40s in the early 90s yeah <laughs> and I mean, he works what, it well yeah it's what i what i thought was cool about this too is it's it's really awesome to have this band documented in the landscape of snl like that's one of the things i like about this show is that 
it's around for a lot of these moments that that are interesting experiments that people may forget about. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is an episode where the musical guest is Chris Gaines, right? Yeah, well, Garth Brooks hosted, hosted and, then and the Chris musical Ga- guest yeah. was Chris Gaines, yeah. If you tried to explain that to somebody now who was not around at the time, it would seem bananas. Mm-hmm. And yet it's 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 like, no, it's right there in the archive. Go watch it. And it's a perfect snapshot of that time. Yeah. Too, and, we're, and we're thankful that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I always have to say Tin Machine. I mean, they're good musicians, too. It was, oh, yeah. Uh, David Bowie got Tony Fox sales, Hunt sales, and then um, Reeves Gabriels. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of The Cure. And Reeves is going to play with him for a while, too. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of neat because you're seeing the beginning of a relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's really neat. And their, their second song, to me, I think the vocals especially sounded more classic Bowie. Yeah. The way he was singing his inflection. Yeah. Uh, the song's called If There Is Something. To me, that sounded like that's how I know Bowie. Yeah, that one was better of the two. Yeah, yeah, I think I preferred that one as well Mm. because, like, you know, it's it's that it's that warm blanket of Bowie that we're probably used to. Totally. So that was Tin Machine. Uh, That was his second episode on SNL season 17. And then we go about six years before the next one. Uh, 1997, that was was season 22 in February of 97. He's promoting Earthling, which was released about five days prior. Yeah, tell us about Earthling. You said you you started liking around this era of This is very much where I show up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, like, I had found myself very interested in the record that came before uh, outside. And um, that was, that was, that was kind of my, that was my gateway drug to Bowie. I started listening to old Bowie around that time, Um, you know, became very, very interested of him as an artist, his looks and whatnot, and listened to the older stuff. So this was, you know, the first one that it dropped and I latched right away. Uh, I was lucky in that this is where I got to see him. Uh, perform a show. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And he was performing this record mixed in with his older work. So I have a soft spot for this, for this record. It is very late nineties. Yes. It is very, very, you know, grunge is over. Electronic is taking over. Oh, uh, you know, me, we are, <laughs> it sounded like the prodigy, like yes. the song Little Wonder, that yep. the, the first song they performed, I got yep. the vibes of The Prodigy, which is Absolutely. total late 90s. Stinky weather, fat, shaky hand. Don't be mourning, don't grumpy nose. Little wonder then, little wonder. You little wonder, little wonder you. Big screen dolls, tits and explosions. It begins with this beautiful drum lick 
which of course, unfortunately is a drum machine. The drummer is just sitting there waiting for his turn. <laughs> and, and when the drums come in, they're fi- they're fantastic. But it's it's amazing that this really quick and steady drum line is a machine. Bowie is kind of reminding you again of his Aladdin Sane time. Like he's got the bright orange hair again. Um, again, he's very, very, his, his look here is very like, sharp and demon-like he's got this big collar he's got this very 90s goatee on his chin um but but again this could just be me talking fondly about the era where i walked into it's incredible it's wonderful it's powerful it's strong Mm -hmm. um it's it's loud um and it's um it's very very interesting again he's not trying to style up the performance that i found a little bit weird um because this era he was doing he was wearing this really great Union Jack coat at the time. If people find the cover of Earthling, um, he had this really great coat um, around the same time that the Spice Girls were wearing it as a dress. It was very, very big time for England. So, but he didn't wear that on SNL, even though he was wearing that for some of his concerts. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. What I love, this is an example to me of something that I love about Bowie is that he doesn't thumb his nose at the trends of the day. No, he's interested. He's interested in it and he really embraces it. Like we see, like we're hearing electronic elements in this, in this first song, in this album, Earthling. He works with Trent Reznor, obviously maybe a couple years after this, around this time. So I love that he embraces. This this is around the time he was co-head. He was touring. He was touring with Trent. Yeah. The tour before this. Yeah. Yeah, so he's embracing that stuff, and I love it. He's not one of the old school guys who's just sticking to what he knows, and everything in my day was great, and everything now sucks. Yeah. Like I love that he embraces new, new things in music. I mean, he was friends with John Lennon, and John had that too, right? Like John was mm-hmm. always interested in doing new and interesting and different things. So it's 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 you know it makes sense that the two of them would be cut from the same kind of cloth. Yeah, definitely. And and the second performance here, it's a throwback. He gives older Bowie fans yep. something that they love. He performs Scary Monsters. I love this song, and I, I, it was, I think it was such a great performance. I love seeing something. Scary Monsters it came out in 1980, so it was like a early, late 70s, early 80s, kind of still Bowie vibe. Yeah, uh, it's the yeah, hinge from monster. one era into the other. What I love about this, and, you know, with, like, if we put the Tin Machine performance aside for a second, all of his other three performances, he does something new and then shows you how it fits with something old. Um, you know, or in the case of the first one, he does the old stuff and then shows you how it fits with the new stuff. So doing Scary Monster Super Creeps and kind of making it just that little bit harder than it was on the record and showing you how well it fits with something like Little Wonder you know, to anybody who's like, oh, I liked him better when he was doing Scary Monsters. It's like, well, this is very much like Scary Monsters. Just, you know, we're doing it a little harder. Reeves is just shredding yeah. on this on this performance, just absolutely wailing. Bowie is going for it. There's so much bravado in this performance. It's it's just so cool to see. Yeah, I love that he he's given 
the people what they want. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, he he's doing a great performance of a of a new song, but he's like, I'm gonna go back to nineteen eighty. And mm-hmm. and when you when you when you discount like when you, yeah, if you if you um don't include the Tin Machine performances. It's th- these are five songs and five different albums. Mm-hmm. So he's performed from Lodger, Station to Station, The Man Who Sold the World. We're getting something from Earthling and Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. This is like this is so cool to me. I love when the when artists say, "Well, we'll play you a new one," but then we're gonna play you something that 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 you, you we we know that you love. Yeah. Like we're yeah. gonna take you back. So I love I love that that, that again like the lack of pretension that's in there. I wish more artists would do it. Like I, I know it's important to promote your new work. Um, you know, especially when you're, when you may not get another chance. Like, I mean, not everybody is David Bowie. A lot of these bands are going to come on one time and they may never come again. So, you know, along with the fact that they may not have older work to draw on, uh, they really want to make the most of why they're there. Um, but the ones who do get another chance or the ones who have been around for a minute, you know, play something older, rearrange it or something and, and yeah. just let us see how it, how it fits yeah so i think you know third episode that he's appeared on as musical guest i think we're uh we have a high batting average here even the tin machine stuff honestly i enjoyed yeah <laughs> like it was, it was super enjoyable too it surprised me uh, how much i enjoyed his tin machine stuff so mm-hmm. i think we're we have a high batting average here with david bowie on snl uh his fourth appearance season 25 the the first episode of the season jerry seinfeld hosting this episode in 1999 and again bowie promoting his new album hours but he's given us something old and something new so the something new ryan thursday's child from hours So Thursday's Child, I actually kind of love. It's mm-hmm. it's nothing complicated. It's not something that I would say is like, you know, top 20 Bowie or anything like that. But it's just so sweet. It's so comforting and just really lyrical. It's kind of it's kind of like a sundown kind of record. His performance is actually very subdued. Yes. He's he dre- he's dressed like he just walked out of Banana Republic. Um, his, this is his, the cool dad look that I was talking yeah. about. His hair's a little longer, his but hair it's kind of parted in the middle. It's yeah, it, but it's shaggy, but it's like intentional. It's like, a, and he, wa- you're right. He looks like he walked out of Banana Republic. This is what I see. Like I, I have an uncle who reminds me that he, like he, 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 he wears his hair like that so perfectly, and he, and he just looks like a, like a cool dad, yeah, kind of vibe. And and this is another different look that Bowie's just pulling off. That I wish I could, and I don't know. 15 to 20 years, I wish I could pull something like Exactly. That. I will not, like, that's the thing, is that he still, you know, even with the <laughs> fact that he looks, his outfit, I kind of wish that he was a little bit more styled, but the fact is, he still looks like David Bowie. You know, yeah. this looks like David Bowie on Laundry Day. Yeah. Um, Did we mention he's married to a supermodel? He yeah, yeah. married to a supermodel? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little odd. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the thing. He settled down now, so he doesn't have to try so hard. Um, the song is beautiful. The album is somewhat forgettable. Ours is not – even even somebody who comes to him in the late 90s, it's not one of the records that a lot of people mention. It kind of – it was kind of Thursday's Child and done. But it's a beautiful song. It's a lovely song. Um, really sweet. Really romantic. Um, you know, there's no angle. 
on this one. It's just, here's a guy who can sing and he's going to sing for you. Yeah. I just, I love that. It's a, it's highlighting his voice, his Mm -hmm. singing. And that was the main thing that stood out to me. Obviously it's just like, this is Bowie's voice. We're highlighting that. And I'm fine with it being more of a subdued performance. I think it shows, it shows a different side of him as a performer that, Mm -hmm. that I think is necessary. I think it was a really good addition to, uh, to the night. And, that's, you know, uh, I think I think it especially works because we're getting like a really rocking song to to close the night, a really a throwback yeah. again, a song that I've always loved, uh Rebel Rebel from yeah. Diamond Dogs. One of his big songs that I think a lot of people love. This is usually one of the showstoppers. Um, again, you know, he reminds you how the new stuff fits with the old stuff. It's all swagger. This performance is all, I know how much you all love this song. I know how much you're all going to lose it. And I will not disappoint. I'm not going to act above it. I am not going to act like I'm tired of singing it. I enjoy, I'm here because I know you enjoy it. And it's wonderful. He even He even kind of like cozies up to his bass player. For the, you know, for the lines, like, not sure if you're a boy or a girl. Hey, baby, your mm-hmm. hair's all right. She's uh, she's a bald woman of color. So, of course, there would be kind of that fluidity to her appearance. And, you know, any anytime a woman's hair is bald, it's, I, you know, I love your hair. No, who cares if, you're, if your hair is bald? You know, it's, it's great to see him reinterpreting those lyrics in that, in that kind of way. Um, and I think what I love about it the most is... It shows that, yeah, like, yeah, we started with with the the dog and the TV in his mouth, and we started with the puppets, and we started with the aliens. Like we started with Artie Shtick, but the reality is that even if he didn't use the Artie Shtick, if he just went out and sang Rebel Rebel, or if he just went out and sang Man Who Sold the World, it wouldn't have mattered because the thing is, the work is genius. So you can dress it up and you can have fun with it, and you can give your audience something more. Um, because you want to, and you want to create, and you want to find and build these little lasting moments. But if you strip it away, and the work is still genius, it doesn't matter. It 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 still holds. Right, and if we and if he did the arty shtick in 1999, like he was in the 70s, it probably wouldn't have come across as authentic because that's not where he was as a as a you know as a creative person and in his life probably in the time that's just not what he was interested in so if he just forced himself to do the arty shtick mm. it probably would have fallen flat i think if he wasn't like as invested in it. i i, I want to see him be authentic to himself yeah i mean he will still keep calling back to those earlier records on the records to come like stuff that he wouldn't even play on snl like records like um when he will later get to Heathen, Heathen has a lot of callbacks to, I mean, other singers. Like he does covers on Heathen, but he calls back to a lot of his Berlin 
uh, albums. Certainly later on when he will do the next day, um, the next day is, is a callback to kind of his whole career. So yeah. he's the album keep... cover on the next day is a callback to Heroes because mm-hmm. yeah. it's it just it's just a box that says the next day over over the Heroes. Heroes album yeah. cover. Yeah. Yeah, so he's going to do that, and and he will continue to find the way that the new work can be informed by the old work, not copying the old work uh, exactly. Like he's not, you know, as much as I love the Stones, he's not doing the Stones. Um, he's just he's finding new ways to to take to add chapters to to those earlier stories without necessarily needing to dress in the white suit or dress like the alien or get in the dress. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's kind of, it's a very mature approach to, to rock and roll and to, you know, art pop. Yeah, I agree. And, and we see it here, his relationship to, to older material in here in 1999 with rebel rebel. Mm -hmm. This was a song. I don't know if you saw this tour, but this was a song that he hadn't played for like a decade and he decided to start playing it again on the tour. And you mentioned like it's one that really gets the crowd yeah. excited and going. He decided yeah. to reintroduce it to his set list. I guess he took out uh, the Quaaludes reference in the song. Maybe that's why he had a tough time performing it. But I guess from what I read, he took out the reference to Quaaludes in Rebel Rebel once he started performing it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that's just something that, he, you know, he took a song. He maybe saw an aspect that that he didn't love about it. But then he made it work again. He's like, hey, I want to perform this again. Yeah. And later on, he would he would play with the intro. Like the intro would actually be stripped down and sound really lovely before the blaring guitar came in at the top of the first chorus. Um, it's yeah, he was he was always interested in doing that and kind of leaving some songs behind and bringing them back in. And, you know, he was never the guy who's like, I don't want to play that anymore ever. You know, he got he got tired of things and he needed to find them again. But um, he always found his way eventually, even even down to stuff like um, even down to some of that stuff like the 80s stuff that he was trying to get away from with Tin Machine. By the time I saw him again in 2003 uh, or 2004, I think the concert was, he was starting the shows with songs like China Girl and Modern Love and those kinds of songs where it's like, I kind of thought you were ready to put all this stuff in a box. Man, I wish I could have seen him. I'm like jealous. You're telling me that you've you've been you've been able to see him, uh, what two or three times? Two times, two, two times, and one of the first one. I got really, really, really lucky. The first of the two times was in a club of about 1,500 people, and it was completely because I met the right person at the right time, and they had a ticket. I got in good and close, and uh, had a, a transformative experience watching david bowie in that kind of room um i'm i'm really really lucky and i always count myself really really lucky that i had that experience gosh yeah i used to go to the coachella festival like every i think i've been six or seven times and i used to spend time on the coachella message board and one of the topics every single year when coachella still you know they were less electronic and poppy and more they would book more indie and Mm-hmm. And not necessarily not like David Bowie's indie, but he appeals to those sensibilities maybe a little bit more. But that was always the one artist that, who everybody would request and want right. to headline every single year is maybe yeah. this is the year that we're going to get Bowie. This yeah. is the year. You think Bowie's going to headline? <laughs> it never happened. Uh, I always thought that maybe that would be the chance I had to see him. But uh, how was he as performer? He was incredible. Uh, he was so this was he was touring. Um, he was touring Earthling. He was mixing the set really, really nicely. Like he started the set with quicksand and it was just him and Reeves and and Reeves was playing an acoustic guitar 
to start the set. And then, you know, yeah, things would come and go. He was, he was playing very electronic at the time. So some of these songs sounded like they were a little bit rearranged. Um, but it was, it was, it was fantastic. And, and he's, you know, I, I like the, the set list is kind of blurring in my brain right now, but it was just, um, you know, trial by fire for me and just kind of very overwhelming. Um, I got like one of my favorite concert photos I've ever taken is from that show. So I'll send that to you after we're done. Yeah, and maybe you want to include it in the show notes. Cause it's a pretty good shot. Um, the, I mean the, this thing is that's interesting as well about Bowie that, you know, where maybe we should leave off is after this moment. So from 99, he's got about another th- four years of an active career. And then he's going to go away for a, a 10 years. He's going to go away for a very long time and nobody would ever actually really know why, you know, he would show up. He sh- like he was around. It wasn't that he was reclusive or it wasn't that he was, you know, we know he was sick, but he wasn't so sick that he couldn't go out. Um, he would show up at things like fashion week or gallery openings in New York. He did a little, um, you know, he did a little, he would do little movie cameos and stuff like Zoolander and, and the prestige of course, Mm -hmm. but he wouldn't, he didn't record. He went from like 2003 to when was the next, I think the next day was 2013. Yeah. uh, That's a 10 year. Yeah. and, and Yeah. And I was very much under the impression of Bowie is gone. You know, I'd like certainly after like you get to six or seven years of that, I'm like, he's just done. He wants to do other things. He didn't make a formal announcement. He didn't say I'm retired or anything like that. He just it was kind of part of the mystique of where'd David go? Um, so it was it was a very strange thing to to see. You know, we all just kind of shrugged and be like, well, he's off living his life. And then, you know, he would come back for this very brief little curtain call right at the end of his life, yeah. um, you know, the last three years of his life. And in, in, in the case of his final album, literally the last week of his life. And then off he went into the stars. It was, it was a, it was a really, really surreal thing to live through as a fan. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting that SNL ends its relationship with Bowie right before that little sabbatical. Yeah. And I guess from, from how you're describing and how I'm remembering the arc of his career, it does make sense that 99 was his last appearance on SNL. And I remember when the next day came out, it was a shock, like, like amongst me and my music nerd friends is like, Oh my gosh, like, new song. New what do you mean? New, new song. song. <laughs> like, what's, yeah. What's going on? And I thought, I thought the next day was okay. Like I wasn't floored by it or anything. And, but I thought it was just nice to hear Bowie back and, and I enjoyed it. But black star is the one that like, floored me and i genuinely loved it. and the timing was eerie and yeah. it, it what black star came out it was a four-day gap between yeah. when black star was released and bowie passed away yep yeah and it, it almost sounded like it almost sounded like bowie was intentionally giving us this thing because he knew that he wouldn't be here much longer i'm that reasonably sure yeah me, i'm reasonably sure he knew there are there are easter eggs all over that thing like, I mean, right down to the fact that a black star is a, is a, another term for a cancerous tumor. Um, you know, he knew he, he must have known. And that's the only reason why he decided to do it when he did. Um, but it, it yeah, I mean, the, there are, there would, there would be a little bit more music that would have been neat to have him 
show off. Like it would have been great if he had shown off something from reality and certainly from Heathen, that record that we both struggled to remember what it was called. They're good records. Um, they're actually, I think they're better than um, ours, which he, he promoted with um, uh, singing Thursday's Child. Again, it could have just been the timing or it could have been even just the musical landscape. The early O's was a very, very weird time for music. And in David general, Bowie didn't, David Bowie didn't really fit into what was yeah. happening there. So no, totally. it could have just been, you know, it's like, well, we could get David Bowie or, hey, let's get the strokes. You know, it's 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 <laughs> that kind of that kind of thing if you're booking. Yeah, I think it was a fine uh, SNL send off in '99, and it was just a perfect. Yeah, I mean, send off as far as just his final album and how it coincided with the end of his life and everything. And that was just I. I, I remember talking to some friends about it, and they, it was almost the feeling like you know this is like perfect classic Bowie to give this to the world, give this Black Star album to the world before he leaves us. There are worse things. There are worse things in life than being your last SNL performance. Be Rebel Rebel. So yeah, oh, Ben, that's perfect. That's yeah. that's well put too. Is Rebel Rebel is maybe like the perfect way to go out on mm-hmm. SNL for sure. So Ryan, uh, we're at the point in the show where we kind of sum this up in a tidy little way, and I want you to address our SNL Hall of Fame voters now and tell them why they should at least consider David Bowie for the SNL Hall of Fame. I believe that you need to consider him on that first performance alone on three songs in a night, three songs in a night. It's one of those magic numbers, you know, it's, it's right up there with like five timers. Uh, it's right up there with Dave Grohl and, and his, however many, what is he on there? 16 times. What do you say? Something, 14, something, something like that. By the yeah. time this goes to air, maybe he might have more because <laughs> they have a new record out. So th- he's a, he's a three song, three song performer. And that first performance just is so delightfully arty and cool and funny and kooky and really sums up exactly where this person was in his career and what he meant to where music would go in, you know, the decades ahead and how he would influence Talking Heads and Lady Gaga and Janelle Monet and all of these other artists who saw themselves in the arty weirdo or, you know, the non-conforming gender identity um, and wanted to marry the music stage with the art gallery in the best ways. throws me man that bass breakdown it always throws me but there it is that's ryan mcneil friend of the show five timer and uh eloquent speaker between him and matt i feel like we have a very good sense of you know bowie uh, both his career and his impact that he had on snl and I think there's a good case if we look at the at the musical guests that have been nominated in the past. He's got to be in that in that fringe of people that are bound for the Hall of Fame. Ultimately, uh, you know, I just think 
he transcends the show and yet he's able to be on the show at the same time. It's 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 a big thing. And uh yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see if he can make his way into the Hall of Fame. But that's up to you. That's how it works. It's not up to me. It's up to you. And I hope you take into account everything that you've heard thus far. But if you need any more uh, of a a nudge toward Bowie and his uh, validity, then look no further because I've got a great track for you you right now that I'm going to share. This is David Bowie, the man who sold the world on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. I wasn't there He said I was his friend Which came as some surprise I spoke into his eyes I thought you died alone A long, long time ago His hand and made my way back home. I roamed for little land for years and years. I roamed, I gazed a gazely stare. But all the millions here, we must have died alone a long, long time ago. That was really great. Uh, I encourage you 
to go out and watch the YouTube video of that performance. Uh, it's it's great. It comes from the Christmas episode, December fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine, with Martin Sheen hosting, and uh, it's it's performance art. It's it's uh, not only is it a tremendous song and. It's tough for me to remember a world before Live at New York when Kurt Cobain and Nirvana covered the song, but this is Bowie's song. This is very clearly Bowie's song, and uh, he does wonders with it, and it's it's really quite lovely. And uh, yeah, I think that should seal the deal. I don't know. I'm not saying he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not saying that, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good about his chances. That's that's just a hunch that you get sometimes when you hang around the hall as much as I do. You get these hunches, you know, and uh, that's what you got to do. So the hunches is also the reason I am getting those uh, spine massages, I, I should say. If you've been listening the whole time, you might understand that. At any rate, that's what I've got for you this week. I want to thank Matt and Thomas, as always, Ryan McNeil as our guest. But now, if you do me a favor, and on your way out, as you walk past the Weekend Update exhibit, turn out the lights, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week. and such. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.